This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews, and we've got something special for today. So we're going to go all the way back to 2009, when St Kilda were putting together their best ever season, at least from a home and away perspective. And of course, got Johnny alongside me. How's it going, Johnny? Yeah, not too bad, Dan. Always fun having these trips down memory lane and talking about another team for a change. Yes, we are probably slightly Melbourne-centric. <laughs> yes, so... We've got a very special guest, as you mentioned, Dan, today. We've got someone who's been around the podcast space for a while. One half of the Ale of a Time podcast, which is in the top 100 most popular food and beverage pods in Australia, I believe. Um, Dan, are you a fan of local craft beer? Yeah, absolutely. So, while I, I, while I was living up in Brisbane, I didn't think there was much of a craft scene there, but it's kind of exploded, especially like down mm. the... Gold Coast, Bolter, there's a whole bunch that are really interesting to try. And uh, have you heard of one called Ten Toes? I think it's a really small one up at the Sunshine Coast. Oh, I think I, I think I have. Beautiful I have IPA. It, yeah. yeah, I've definitely heard it because I do like the sunny coast. Um, so, like, but, it's just exploding, isn't it, really? Oh, absolutely. And if you ever wanted to be up to date with all these uh, great new local breweries propping up... Uh, in Melbourne and nationally, uh, this is the show to listen to. They're always reviewing new beers, uh, regularly doing interviews with the brewers. So yeah, without any further ado, it's our pleasure to introduce Mr. Dave Ellis. Dave, welcome to Footy Time. Thanks, gentlemen. Pleasure to be here. Um, what an intro. That was perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, you're too right, though. Brisbane's like the market at the moment, the most exciting one. Uh, everything's up and coming. Everyone's helping each other out. It's like the exploding place to be in the country at the moment. Yeah, it'd be a fantastic place to uh, try some new beer, that's for sure. And uh, we sh- Yeah, exactly right. We should also also mention that Dave is a Tragic Saints fan and I'm sure he's got plenty to share about the ups and downs of supporting this great footy club. And Yeah, as yes. tragic as a 35-year-old St Kilda supporter <laughs> can be, the only more tragic ones are the older <laughs> blokes, I think. It's a tough sell being a St Kilda supporter. But yeah, I guess that's maybe where we could start. Just the burden of being a footy fan of a team that's had so little success. So obviously the one premiership in the 125-year history. Uh, I guess we'll just get this out of the way so we can move on to some of the more pleasant stuff. But yeah, <laughs> what's it like barracking for St Kilda for a team that had so little success over the journey? It's tough. It, it really is. Like I think it really... It, there's a very similar mould that all like long-time St Kilda supporters um, uh, share, I think. And then that was also like shared also with Western Bulldog supporters, I think, until sort of fairly until fairly recently. But yeah, sometimes you meet new people and you explain that you're a Saint supporter, and like especially people who are just kind of new to supporting, they kind of go like why (laughs) like what What is it and it's kind of and also from like from myself I like I'm a pretty joyless supporter like even when we're going really well I kind of like nod along in agreement rather than cheering and Mm. enjoying it um so like it's hard to you don't really see any like visible like enjoyment of watching the Saints um so it's an easy question to ask like what what are you doing still showing up week in week out and uh and watching every game with um expectation i guess but i don't know it's sort of like at the time that i was growing up around the moorabbin sort of bayside area like the saints were no good like for a very for a very long time um so you sort of had this like level of um no expectation like kicked into you from your formative years, really. And if it wasn't for blokes like Plugger and Stewie Lowe and Robert Harvey, who's my personal hero, um, if it wasn't for the likes of them, then, like, you'd wonder how the supporter base would um, have survived throughout that time. And I remember even talking to, like, some friends. I played cricket with a couple of blokes who were Essendon and Collingwood supporters and they had young children um, and they would take their kids every year they'd go and see the Saints play because they thought it was their best chance that they, they'd take their kids to see a win. Oh, yeah, yeah. lock it in. So lock like, in for a win. Yeah, it was oh. like, I mean, that was just how it went until probably like 
2004 was when we started to build this team that we're probably going to talk about today. Um, until like a couple of little flashes um, of success. I mean, you wouldn't call it success really, but like positive signs um, before then, but not really. And then, yeah, early 2000s, something started to happen. But yeah, like... I don't know. Like it's odd that I chose that that I chose the Saints because like my family doesn't support any any football at all. Really, um, I just sort of grew up in the area, so lots of kids at my primary school or whatever went for the Saints. So I just watched the game and um, yeah, just decided that the Saints were my team. I probably liked. I probably enjoyed red, white, and black. I thought that was pretty cool. Probably on the jumpers. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, they always had. Pretty good jumper. Good song. Um, song yeah. Good song. Uh, and then, I don't know, like, if you if you decide that you that a team's your team, then it's, things start to worm their way in. And, like, I don't know, I just fell in love with Robert Harvey pretty much. So I was I was in. And then I didn't know what I was signing up for. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And then I, it's probably when I, when I turned sort of like 20 and I – uh, started to watch, like, enjoy football, like, as a whole, rather than just supporting my team, yep, I think. Like, <laughs> I think we both have a Yeah, you started, like, you start to, like, um, yeah, watch the game kind of, like, analytically a bit yep. and just, like, you enjoy the good teams when they're playing. Like, you, you, yeah, enjoy the super teams and then, um, yeah, like... It's never really secondary, but it almost feels like supporting your team is a bit secondary when you just like, just historically mm-hmm. had no success. So yeah, it's a bit like that. Yeah, I think Johnny and I can vouch for that, especially through like the early 2010s, sort of that decade there where Melbourne was pretty much down the bottom the whole time. Oh, you give both D supporters. Yeah, supporters. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so like, yeah, you do start, paying a bit more attention to the other games and yeah it's almost i remember when melbourne was at its worst getting absolutely smashed most weeks i think they might have got you know two or three wins for the season it was almost a relief to watch another game absolutely like oh wow this is what it's meant to be like (laughs) you know yeah you appreciated the great teams i mean we'll get to like you you definitely do and we'll definitely get to it but like throughout the saints success so successful years we were sort of playing the Ross Lyon model of footy, which is pretty dour and not very exciting. So, like, you you want to see these other teams come up just to see some see some goals kicked and see some exciting footy. So, like, you sort of learn. Yeah, I mean, we weren't going to complain because it was getting W's on the yeah. board, but man, it wasn't wasn't pretty. always pretty. <laughs> Dave, yeah, I, I just wanted to to ask Dave. Um, the thing I've always noticed about St Kilda fans, it seems to be the vast majority of them. They are some of the most diehard, passionate footy fans I've ever met, and they really love the game more than. Well, no one loves the game more than them. Um, is that something that sort of comes from maybe supporting a struggling team together, and that you, you, you've sort of you're rusted on, and you, you it's a love affair for life. Definitely. I mean, like if you don't, then you stop going for the team. Like you, the, you've probably met a bunch of people that used to go for the Saints and you just never know because they weren't they didn't try to tell you about their team that they <laughs> that they defected to. Um but yeah, I mean there's there's something about like doesn't matter what what like what the crowd is at a game, if you jump on the Frankston train on the way home, it's full of Saint supporters. Doesn't say if it's six thousand people there or sixty thousand, it's the same level of crammed train to Saint supporters on the way home. So like the area, I mean, they did, they they just bleed red, white, and black. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Like you think, all oh, right, there was no one here. It was this, it was St Kilda versus Fremantle at the Telstra Dome. It's freezing. There's thirteen thousand people here. We'll probably get a seat in the train. Nah, crammed. All 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 four thousand Saints fans are all all going home it's on the train on the Frankston yeah, line. I just find find that especially with the older fans, if they tell you that their team's St Kilda, I find you're usually going to be in for a good footy chat. They're not like a fair weather fan or, oh, yeah, I sort of like football, but, you know, I don't really... They, they seem to be in and the members and they know what's happening with the club and that, yeah, it's... I just find they're, the, they're some of the true footy fans. I'll tell you what, I reckon it, like... Every... I mean, I, I think the Saints have got the worst, like, 
diehard fans. When you go to the games, you get embarrassed by like I think that's the same for all <laughs> clubs. But like I'm probably most disgusted by um, by Saints fans. But like I think it, I think <laughs> supporting teams with no success also like it gives you a level of um, it gives you a level. All right, I think I'm back. Like I think oh, I just lost you guys. Sorry. I think I think we can wait. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, I think it I think it builds like um, pretty fair thinking supporters like that sort of you go to a game and you see like the mentals like every every decision is free <laughs> yeah. for their team or every decision's got to be a free against like that does it like that obviously the, the Saints have got pretty ordinary um, fans with that as well but like even when you think someone's pretty like even-headed um about watching footy like when it's a close game they are calling ball on every tackle and they're thinking everything's deliberate it's crazy but like i think those like browbeaten fans sort of look at the game a bit more uh evenly and i like i pride myself on thinking yeah. that i do this so i, I yeah. do that but it's a good play good um, way to be yeah i don't know yeah yeah i think so so maybe that's one of the advantages of going for one of the lower ranked teams. <laughs> there aren't too many, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, like, I've probably never appreciated footy more than, like, when the Saints aren't doing too well because you sort of, like, maybe you forego um, or it just it probably broadens your interest in watching other teams play more and I guess the more different teams you watch at the same time, the better understanding you have of the current state of the game. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, the main topic for today is, of course, St Kilda's great season in 2009. So this is where I think they appointed Ross Lyon just before this. Was it 2008 they appointed Ross Lyon? Yeah. That's right, yeah. yes. So, yeah, what do you reckon made Ross Lyon stand out at the time? And, yeah, what did he actually bring to the Saints? You already described his game style is a bit dour, but what do you reckon, Dave? What's what was Ross Lyon doing here? Look, I don't, I, I didn't have that much knowledge of um, of what Ross Lyon was like outside. Like, I think I saw the end of his, um, I saw the end of his playing career at Fitzroy. He was a classic. He was a classic um, senior coach sort of player. He was like a, a crafty. Backflanker. That seems to be what all the senior coaches were doing. Um, were doing. Um, and I remember. I remember. I had his. My my, my thoughts of when I, he got um, appointed was that I remember him from my sticker books <laughs> as a kid. I remember he, I got the, the Ross Lyon stickers. Um, but what I knew was he was a trusted general of Paul Ruse, and that was like, I mean. If, if anyone was going to say what coach they wanted at their club at the time, Paul Roos yeah, is probably the absolutely. answer. So any any sort of like Paul Roos disciple was probably going to get looked upon pretty favourably. So that was what the thinking that I thought. I thought, yeah, like any sort of um, one of uh, Roos in a sanctum is probably going to bring um, a winning fabric from that club. And I mean, they had a tremendous, they had a tremendous run, the Swans, playing that sort of, similar um stingy dour sort of football yeah and then and then ross sort of became like much like a lot of different players at different clubs like you, you people outside would take them but he's the guy that like you definitely wanted to be at the helm of your club at the time um yeah and i mean we also had a bunch of players that were like that but yeah, I didn't know too much about what he was going to be like, but it sort of became apparent pretty quick that he ran a pretty tight ship and it was the sort of thing that I think we needed as a club. It's funny, yeah, because um, we discussed this, Dan, with um, with Shannon on our um, Melbourne 98 special um, about when Neil Danaher came in and how he sort of shook things up with the um, the way they approached fitness and pre-seasons. Um, did you think Ross was that kind of coach, Dave, where he just sort of revolutionised the way they did pre-seasons and his approach to fitness? And you always hear he was just a real hard taskmaster on the track. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think uh, I don't like you. You start to when when you go for the Saints for this long, you start to like wonder a lot of things. And it's like one of the things I've been thinking about lately is like 
is there something like metaphysically just wrong with the club? Like if you tick, if you do everything right, if you like, if you these days like the sports science, um, the sports science side of things, maybe not uniform, but it's pretty consistent across um, the eighteen clubs. Our facilities are probably as good as anyone has yeah. at the moment. It's like we signed some big players. We've got a coaching staff that most people would say that um, they're really happy with. It's like, well, well, what is it? Like, <laughs> what is it? Like, why are we like giving up massive hundred point, um, hundred point margins when it's a season that people were talking about mm. the same to be top four? Like, like what? Like what is going on? So you start to have these kind of questions, and I think like a lack of. Grant Thomas brought in a lot of like professionalism, but he had a different way of doing things. And even though there was success with like games one and some finals with Grant, like that movie, like when they, when we didn't train and went to the movies, but even before we got pumped that week, I just like, what, what is this? What's going on? Yeah. I didn't like that sort of stuff. So people thought he was kind of like a guru genius, but I didn't like that. So when there was like a real like taskmaster coming into the club, I was personally, it, I was It did seem that. a bit like that with Thomas. Um, like they'd built that amazing list up through the early 2000s and had, you know, more talent than you could poke a stick at. Um, and they were good to watch as well, yeah. actually. They sort of just... Um, yeah, they were just free flowing and scoring, and um, I just felt when when Ross yeah, Lyon came in, sure. it seemed like it wasn't all about having that immense amount of talent. It was it was a, like you know they let a couple of guys go eventually, like uh, well eventually Luke Ball and that, but um, it was more about the intense resolve and the yeah the never say die attitude and, and just being the toughest, the longest. It it seemed like a bit of an image change through that decade. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And it was something that we that I thought we needed and I was real I was really happy with. So like um yeah, it was like a it was a brand that we hadn't really I mean right now, like every every team's gotta establish their brand, which like that really wasn't that wasn't a word that anyone really used to like describe a playing style um in those days. But like that was the first time we had like a that I can remember that we had a real like brand that we were sticking to and you knew what you were going to get every single week yeah. whether you liked yeah. it or not yeah absolutely it was a real team first approach everyone knew they were pushing in the same direction yep exactly right um and yeah ross loves loved a role player i mean there's all those jokes about zach dawson and it's true and i mean it's true though like he was a guy that ross found um that just did the exact job that he wanted and um yeah he was obviously incredibly loyal to um to him and yeah that kind of role player Stephen Baker as well was another good um yeah Ross role player so yeah I, I was I was a big fan I was a big fan all right let's get into the 2009 season so as I described earlier St Kilda's best ever season actually got to 19 and zero at one stage before uh, losing a couple towards the end and finishing at 20 and two. So just a couple of stats here of just about how dominant they were. So in average, uh, in attack, they were averaging a hundred points per game while only conceding 64 points per game. So that is a massive difference between what they're giving up and what they're putting on the board themselves. And, yeah, I guess some people would think of St Kilda as a bit of a Dow team, but I'm not sure they were in 2009 necessarily. They had Rewalt and Kaczynski firing up forward, Milne helping out there as well, and a raft of goal-kicking midfielders, Goddard, Montagna, Del Santo, and Graham. And up the other end, a really miserly defense where often they were just choking the life out of opponents and really not letting much score through at all. So was headlined by guys like Sam Fisher and Sam Gilbert. And then you had the workhorses like Jason Blake and Zach Dawson and Sean Dempster there as well. So just a really well-rounded team here in 2009 and could put their opponents to the sword, I suppose. 
Yeah, Sean Dempster was like a, one of those really like underrated blokes that um, had a really terrific career. Um, he was one of the favourite sons. Like, he just did his job every single week, and uh, like he, he did like I think um, Callum Wilkie sort of doing that job for the Saints now. Like you wouldn't necessarily notice him unless he has a heap of intercept marks in the game. But like man, he doesn't often get beaten one on one. So. Yeah, Dempster was a huge part of that back six. So I think that I think that um, the sixty-four points per game, I think that was had Ross's f- fingerprints all over it. That really like miserly defense-first um, uh, game plan. But yeah, I mean, a hundred points a game. I mean, that's what every team wants to sort of like strive for, I guess. So we were still flying at the other end at that at that time. Yeah, I guess at that time it wasn't quite as difficult to score a hundred points, but. You know, scoring 100 points, you're still going to win most games back in 2009, I suppose. Oh, yeah, for sure. So what did it feel like being a Saints fan in this time? You know, they're getting on this massive run. You're just talking about how, you know, it's been pretty difficult over the journey. So what was that like, being a St Kilda supporter, getting on such a run? Uh, it was great because, I mean, I would that year I went to every, every home game. Oh, well, not every home game. Every game played in Melbourne. So, um, like... I don't know, when you go into the footy and your team's winning every week, I mean, it's, how can you not enjoy it? Um, yeah, it was it was really great, but all the while, Saints people could never get ahead of ourselves because that just wasn't in our DNA. Um, like, even in that grand final, which we'll get to, I'm sure, like, um, I think we led, we led at every change, I think, and... At not like not once did I think, here we go, we're about to win a grand final. Like it just it just wasn't in the DNA to like think that good things were were going to happen. So it was almost like, when are we losing? Like this this streak is great, but it can't keep going. And that went all the way to that Geelong game in round sixteen, I think it was, um, and that was the only time where I was in the whole year pretty much where I was like, all right, if we've just beaten Geelong, it was that showdown of the two undefeated teams. I was like, man, we're probably the best team of the year here. If you're the best team of the year, you're probably going to go deep into, into finals. So that game was probably, I mean, how can you not be filled with hope? That was like one of the most uh, exciting and like intense finishes to the game. Um, but yeah, that was one time where I thought, like, we're a chance here, boys. We, this, this might be a year. Yeah, that is that is interesting, actually. Um, but, yeah, like, so, some of these guys that, that came through, came in, like, Farron Ray, and they're, they're just, um, they were just Dempster, as you mentioned. They were all, like, cast-offs. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I was just mentioning how some of these guys that had that been recycled by St Kilda, they were uh, like Farron Ray, Sean Dempster. They were all kind of cast-offs from um, from their other clubs and immediately came in and made an impact as role players. Yeah, I think Farron Ray was classically like um, burdened by expectation of what was he? Pick, yeah, was he pick yeah, four? I think it was four. Or pick three. Pretty high, yeah. Pick three or four in that Adam Cooney. Um, yeah draft so the Bulldogs got like two supremely talented kids and I think yeah Farron just didn't quite develop the way that they probably thought he was going to but like coming into a system um with Ross Lyon um yeah finding a job for a bloke like him um that suited him way better and he was probably just coming into his Mm. his own as a player he was probably in his that was probably his fifth year I guess and yeah, that's when the that's when things start to really um, happen for players like that. So he was tremendous. He was great. So let's just do a little bit of a comparison here between 2009 and 2010 because I found it quite interesting. Obviously, St Kilda had a good year in 2010 as well, not quite as dominant. So obviously, they finished on top of the ladder in 2009. So we talked about those points conceded and scored for 2009 being 164 respectively. So in 2010, there was a quite a big change here. So points scored in 2010 was 88 while they were conceding 72. So it was actually roughly a 
three goal swing there if you add those together. So I guess they did find it a fair bit harder to score in 2010 and the defense wasn't quite as miserly. So yeah, do you have any insight into this, Dave? Why uh, was it harder for them to score in 2010? Oh, well, there's two things with 2010. Um, I think that with a with a good team that St Kilda were, there's going to be a level of um, variance. So, like, we had an incredible run in 2009. Then because of that, there's going to be a, probably a lot more homework done on the way that we're playing football um, by the opposition. So they probably worked a few things out. Uh, that's part of it. The other thing is that in round four or five, um, Revolt had a 12-week hamstring injury. So <laughs> he was out. Yeah, he was out for like a chunk of the season. And like, I'm, I do remember thinking like, obviously he was our star, um, but we we had we had weaponry to still score, but I think our whole team, good or bad, I think our whole team going forward thought Revolt. So when he wasn't there, that sort of changed the way we do a lot of things. It probably improved. It probably made us better to not just pick up the ball, look inside 50, think Revolt, but you can't just change gears like that and have a smooth transition um, and keep the score high. So, yeah, I've got no doubt that he came back and I think he still kicks at a 30 or 35 goals for the year, but... I think he was coming off mm. seventy odd, so that'll be the difference usually. Yeah, but it just changed the way our whole team um, entered fifty. I think. Yeah, absolutely. That is going to do it. Nick Rewalt, the dominant forward, and kind of the guy. Yeah, I think it was. I think he work. didn't come back until like round fifteen or round sixteen or something chunk. like that. So yeah. it was a fair amount of time that he was out. Yeah. So looking back at two thousand and nine, some of these highlights here, it really did seem like St Kilda's forward line was absolutely humming. So you had Justin Kaczynski and Nick Rewalt, obviously the pillars up there. I think they got them in the same draft, didn't they? Was that 2001 maybe? It was. Yeah, one, exactly two, right. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So I guess Justin Kaczynski is an interesting, wasn't he? He was a bit of an enigma over his journey. Yeah, um, yeah much maligned character. Um, I mean... I quite like him now. He does. Does he still do special comments for someone? Oh, one of the networks? I think he might actually. I've heard him do a few things. I quite, I quite like listening to him, but I'm, I've got to put my hand up. Like I was not a fan of him at our club. Um, the sort of not with any like malice, but like the sort of the the, the joke that we sort of had for more or less his whole career was that. He wouldn't really... Do, I mean, he would take a tall. That's pretty important when you've got a leading forward like Revolt. So that, like, you, you can't really discount that. But it was a pretty common pattern for him to not kick any goals for four weeks, be on the cusp of losing his spot, and then he'd bob up and kick three or four and save his spot again. <laughs> and then there'd be another lean period for six more weeks, and then he'd kick five and save it. Like, that seemed to happen a lot. So... um yeah, it doesn't feel good to think about that now, but like, yeah, he was a he was a maligned character anyway. I think when he was playing well, though, St Kilda in those games often looked a million dollars. He kind of just made everything work. Yeah, yeah, because he, like when he was on, he was the he was the forward, and then when you've got the forward not being a Nick Revolt, that's a that's a mm. problem. That's a handful for any backline, really. So. Um, and now that I've probably got more understanding about how the game works, I probably, if I watched him now, I would probably have more appreciation for the sort of off ball work that he would do. So yeah, fair play, Cozzy. I, if I had the, my time again, I'd probably, uh, yeah, would think differently about it, but gee, he was, some, he was frustrating sometimes to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have any insights you wanted to share, Johnny, about Rewald or Kaczynski? Yeah, he was a fascinating player, Justin Kaczynski. I actually wonder, was was he in the wrong position? Because a, a lot of people thought he was quite natural as a ruckman. Oh, he, he did heaps of rucking, yeah. Um, because I don't know if you recall this, but we had two seasons, I think, where our 
um, number one ruckman was mm. Jason Blake, and he was like a he was a undersized yeah, defender. Like he was six three. I think he was six three, and he wasn't he wasn't a supreme athlete. Um, he just like his job was just to hit the contest. I think so. Like he did lots of rucking in that time. So I don't know. I feel like there's a bit of a unless unless you unless you've got like a elite talent brought to the club as a ruckman, I don't think many clubs want to um, invest what they consider their elite talent in the ruck position just because of the propensity for like injury or anything like that or just wear and tear with just bodies banging together. So um, he did he did, he did well in the ruck, but I don't think he was ever going to be our number one ruckman. No, no doubt about mind. that, especially when you see what uh, clubs have done this year with guys like Charlie Dixon and that, uh, yeah, kind of want to protect the merchandise. So another interesting forward you guys had throughout this period, I guess a fair while before, yeah, exactly. before that, is uh, Stephen Milne. So from the outside, he was probably one of the guys as an opposition supporter that you love to hate. But yeah, interested to hear some of your thoughts, Dave, on Milne from you know the inner sanctum at St Kilda. Did St Kilda supporters like Milne? Oh, you loved him, like... I mean, there's probably, during his career, there probably wasn't another small forward that kicked goals as consistently as he did. The amount of money I made off Stephen Milne, first goal scorer, um, (laughs) bets. I mean, he just, he had a knack for it. Um, I went to a game, I went to the game against, I think it was against Essendon, where he kicked 11 straight. And it was just like, like, he just couldn't do any wrong, like... He wasn't really the like I, right now. You, you wonder how his game would be like evaluated now because he didn't really bring ferocious like defensive pressure inside fifty. But when he just found the ball and he his goal sense was incredible. Uh, he was just that exact the exact player I mentioned before that you love to have at your club, but anybody else just he was good when guys. the ball was in his hands, sort of like a Jamie Elliott type of forward. Yeah, exactly. Um, he knew where the goals were. He loved a goal. Um, at the end of his career, he sort of like got that, what sort of Tom Hawkins is doing now. He got that sort of like elite level um, assisting sort of work, but uh, he probably wasn't quite as selfless as Hawkins is showing himself to be. I, I'm stunned with Tom Hawkins, by the way. Like this like last two years, his field kicking to find targets inside 50 is unbelievable. He pushes up and becomes more dangerous if he's one out in the square. It's, it's like quite incredible. Yeah. I guess one of the things that everyone will remember Milne for is uh, it, that bounce in the 2010 grand final where he's tracking the ball back with the Collingwood opponent. I'm not sure who it was, but uh, the ball bounces away from them with about a minute left on the clock and it looked like he was about to run into an open goal. So... Yeah, I mean, that sucks. Yeah, that sucks. But, like, it's a funny-shaped ball. Like, the more times I look at it, the more I'm like, what's he supposed to do? I think he did the right thing. Like, his actions up until you see which direction the ball the ball bounces looks fine to me. It just sucks that it just went off at a bizarre angle. Yeah, I think when, when, we, when we did a review show talking a little bit about that, I remember saying that it looked like the ball was actually going to keep bouncing the way it did because it actually did two weird bounces. So it bounced sort of towards the boundary. Uh, No, so it it bounced inboard and then back towards the points. So I always thought, you know, yeah, it it should just keep bouncing towards the goals. But I was actually playing around with a football the other day and sort of did that same bounce. And yeah, it actually is more likely to bounce back the other way. So it's, it's a funny one. It's a crazy ball. Yeah, it's a funny one. Like, yeah, because of when it I mean, if it happened in the first quarter, no one would talk about it, I think. So, yeah. But- yeah, I always wondered if, if the TV angles were an optical illusion that day. And um, I was just wondering, were you at that that grand final, Dave? And it- yeah, I was. But, I mean, I was always on level three. So didn't get the like, best view of it, yeah. I don't know if that was... Yeah, I didn't get the best angle of it. But, um, yeah, one of those things. I think it... I think, it, like, to the naked eye, you sort of saw... Uh, him more than 
you yeah. saw what the ball was doing. So it sort of looked like he just like was flat-footed and didn't do anything. So I was probably furious at the time, but I don't know. The more I watched it, the more I'm yeah, like, what, what do you do? I mean, it just, I mean, nine times out of 10, he like the action result in the, like the right result. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Just one of those things in footy. Would you have preferred they play extra time there, Dave, to finish that? At the time I didn't, but going through it, like no one wants a draw. No, no one wants no. a draw. So, um, no, but at the time I thought it was the right thing. So who knows? Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. I think I probably would have preferred, uh, an extra time on the day, all things considered. But yeah, I thought it was the right thing. Well, because we had the momentum, I think. If if there was more time, I think we the Saints would have won that. But I mean, twenty twenty hindsight, you can't really tell. But yeah, you you, you can't go through that again. <laughs> For sure. All right, let's get back into two thousand and nine. So. Going back to the win streak, up to 19 wins, which was obviously an amazing achievement. Uh, the win streak did come to an end in round 20 against Essendon. So at one point, the Saints were trailing in this game by 43 points midway through the third term, but they brought it right back and actually almost pinched it after kicking the last seven goals of the match. And Rewalt actually had a shot from 40 on about a 40-degree angle to win the match after the siren, but wasn't able to do it. But uh, yeah, was it almost a relief that they lost this game? Like you didn't really want to be going to finals having not lost a game, did you? Absolutely right. Um, At the time, I think maybe like a win like that probably does more for you than uh, having a loss you needed to have. But yeah, 22 and zip wouldn't feel good going going into the finals, I don't think so. All things considered, it was probably fine. Had that stutter again the next round, but um, yeah, you feel like a, a, a seven goal turnaround win that would have been like that would have been big for the club, I think. Mm. So yeah, they were in pole position going into the finals, finishing on top of the ladder, and uh, ended up playing Collingwood in the first qualifying final in a semi-low scoring game. Managed to get over the line there by eighteen points. Uh, so did the job. Any recollections in that particular final day or just uh, smooth sailing? Um, I liked that. I, I enjoyed that win because it was because we we slapped a lot of teams that year. Um, so getting like a grit, like a, against a improving good opposition, um, a gritty win felt it felt like a finals win. So I was happy with that. Yeah, I guess Collingwood were kind of up and coming at this period, weren't yeah. they? So their yeah. dominant period in sort of was to come 2010, 2011, but they're already a pretty good team. And yeah, definitely no easy beats here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I was, I was, I was happy that it felt like finals. It felt like a finals win. That was good. So that puts St Kilda straight through to the prelim. And it was actually up against the Western Bulldogs. So, yeah, I guess a lot of the talk around the town was that, you know, you're finally going to get one of these teams through to another grand final. It was uh, a big occasion for both teams. Yeah, and all through, the all, all through like, the start of the 2000s, um, the, the Dogs and the Saints were sort of on the same trajectory. So it was kind of like not only was it that that – first grand final in a long time but it was also like yeah these two teams have been on a similar ride this is a very fitting prelim um and it was very it was a good prelim yeah so it was actually relatively low scoring again i think St Kilda trailed at half time but managed to just do enough in the second half so their nine goals proved to be a winning score winning by seven points despite having three less scoring shots. So it definitely was a nervy one <laughs> for the Saints supporters. It was a nervy one, but I think all these, I think all these, all the finals games, like, felt, it felt good. Like, it felt good to be scrapping finals wins, like, when it wasn't on it because we had we played a lot of the season on our terms mm, yeah. so when the, the games weren't on when, when they weren't on our terms 
finding something yeah. to to get over the line that that felt like we were a good team anyway. Because I mean, even like this season when we like we we can't put a team away, but like when we're up by seven goals, I'm I don't have any faith in us. Like I don't think we're a team yet that can stamp on someone's neck. So like it was good to to know that we could do that when it was going our way, just put the foot down and go. And then also arrest the development and bring it back on our terms when it wasn't um, being dictated by us. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess St Kilda were the favourites coming into this game. Did you have any memories of this particular time, Johnny? Yeah, I, I just remember that. I think I was down in... Um... I was down in Sorrento at the time, actually, and I remember seeing it at the um, Portsea Pub, and it was just such a tight game. Um, it was, <laughs> yeah, I, I know that the, there's been a lot of prelims like that, but that was just such a hard-fought one, and um, yeah, I, I remember Rewalt's soccer goal to seal the, I think it was the seven-point lead that kind of got it for him, and that was just, that was worth about 100, I remember. <laughs> I was just thinking, whoa, they're going to do it now. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, so first grand final since 1997. So, and after you know finishing on top, obviously it looked like a great chance for St Kilda to break their premiership drought. So, grand final week, how are you feeling going into the game, Dave? Uh, not good. Like, I think yeah, the culture of losing just. Not confident at all, but like very excited because I mean, regardless, like I, I did, I didn't attend the grand final in '97. Um, so knowing that I was going to be able to go to the game and watch the Saints in the grand final was like tremendously exciting. But I, don't know, I knew we were checked because we were pro- we were probably the best team all year. Um, but yeah, that little like just stone of dread in your stomach was sort of like ever present. Oh, probably the whole game. Like, like the whole week, including, I mean, as I said, yeah, I think we led at every change, but, like, I was never comfortable. I think I, I don't really recall a lot of the game, not because of time, <laughs> just because, like, I was yeah. in such a weird headspace that, like, um, yeah, strange headspace that, like, it was just a nervous, nervous time. Yeah, it's such an opportunity when you get through to a grand final for any team, really, but especially for a team that doesn't do it all that often. And having been the best team all year, I suppose, just puts another layer of pressure. And also you're facing Geelong, who's been, you know, yep. one of the great teams as well. So exactly there was a lot right. woven into it. Um, and it was such a, like, we built such a good rivalry that, like, it was just the perfect, it was just a perfect matchup. Um, they were, they were, they were a great team. They were a great team to watch. I do have a question for Dave about another much maligned player. Uh, Ref Clark, what are the first words that come to your mind when you when you hear that name? He was... It, he was a dud, essentially. But, like, he looked like he was running in slow motion. He wasn't quick, was he? And he wasn't quick at all. And I remember, like, I don't know what the context was, but the Herald Sun did this back page photoshop work of uh, xavier took some intense hanger and then they just photoshopped raf taking a hanger on top of xavier <laughs> so they just photoshopped this absurd mark i don't remember what for but it was like give this guy a chance to like i don't know there was just these crazy expectations i really i think he had a pretty good junior career but like he just wasn't he just wasn't at the level, he just wasn't an AFL level player. He just, the speed of the game was too much for him. And like, I think because of that, like he turned over a lot, like his kicking skills, probably at training were pretty good, but like he turned over a lot of ball. Um, yeah, no, he just never quite hit the right gear of AFL. You say he was a dud, but like he did have glimpses where he actually looked like the player everyone wanted him to be, I think. And that was probably part of the problem. Like he still did draw people in, even though he really wasn't showing a lot over the journey. 
Alright, so let's go back to the grand final just briefly. So yeah, like you said, did lead at every change, although it was tight throughout. And yeah, I guess the last quarter was where it had to be won or lost. And it must have been an absolutely nail-biting one for the Saints fans, only managing four points. And I think in that same time, the Cats kicked three or four goals just to edge out the game. And there's obviously that famous last play where the ball bounces right basically in the center circle at the MCG. And uh, Matty Scarlett just manages to nudge it with his toe out to Ablett, who gets it long, bounces about the top of the square. Mooney feeds a handball out to Chapman and snap over the shoulder. And that was the game-breaking moment. I can remember. Yeah, it was like the ultimate uh, heads-up play. Like uh, the toe poke, it was just such an instinctive, uh, just a calm, considered play in the absolute manic heat of battle that was obviously heartbreaking at the time. But the more you think about it, it's just like, man, like those experienced superb players just were in their element and their actions just uh, dictated what that end of the game was. And it really is... The, the more time goes past, the more impartial that I can get on it. And it was just like incredible. Like it was the match-winning little moment that's, I mean, it must the like Geelong supporters must just still grin ear to ear thinking about it because like there's no there's no play that the the, uh, the coach drew up. There's no like there's no rule book for that. It's just instincts in the heat of battle, and it was pretty fantastic. It was such a tight last quarter though, like. Although Kilda didn't kick a goal, they they had their chances, and it was really close. It was was less than a goal for a long time in that quarter. Yeah, yeah, it was a real arm wrestle that like was just the culmination of the whole, the the whole maybe, yeah, pretty much all year. Every the only thing anyone talked about was how Geelong and Kilda were like, which each each win that each team got, uh, everyone was just talking about. what was going to happen when they met. And then that only continued after um, that round 14 or 15 game, whatever it was. So just an, yeah, the apex of an arm wrestle. And um, yeah, I've, unfortunately the Saints were on the wrong end of it at the end. It was a wet day, wasn't it? So do you think that favoured one of the teams? The fact that it was wet or hard to say, I guess? Yeah, not necessarily. Maybe the Cats might have like become a better wet weather team but at the time I don't think anyone felt that there was any any like advantage particularly it was pretty even tussle I think yeah both I think both teams performed pretty well um yeah in those sort of like slippery conditions so no there wasn't anything about that that felt one-sided but yeah, it didn't, didn't help at all, though, yeah. What stood out to you in that last quarter there, Jim? Um Yeah, look, I was just going to bring up Zach Dawson and, um, you know, what could have been one of the best plays we'd ever see in a grand final. You know, he'd left his man, who I think was Cameron Mooney at the time, and just sprinted towards uh, that contest with Gary Ablett uh, and made that great spoil. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. And maybe this is the negativity, the veil of negativity with Saints fans, but I've heard some Saints fans actually put him down for that play and say that, you know, he should have absolutely killed Ablett like some other defenders, like, you know, a Campbell Brown might have. But what were your thoughts, Dave? That, that was an excellent bit of play, I thought, and it was just unfortunate that it didn't work out. It was. I don't think I breathed. Like, I saw him, I, like, I, I saw him leave his man and I just gasped. Um, and what, I mean, it was a great play. Like it was a gamble. It's one of those gambles you have to take. Um, but yeah, I mean, fantastic. Like he, he, he took a gamble and it paid off whether or not he should have like poleaxed tablet or not. Nah, he did the right thing. He just attacked the contest and made a real difference. So after such a close run thing in 2009, how are you feeling going into 2010, Dave? Did you have much confidence? I know you've said you haven't really had much confidence in St Kilda all along, but yeah. how did you feel going into 2010? It's probably like, um, there's probably level, like ranges of confidence. And I was still confident that the Saints were a good team. So I knew we were still going to be there and about. It's funny because like after that second grand final, I was like, we're taking a dip now. 
I knew that like that mm, we yeah. weren't we weren't gonna improve like that was our that was our chance that year and it wasn't gonna get any better for us. But after two thousand and nine I was like, we're still a good team. We're it's still gonna team. have a fair crack at this. So I was still like if you if you go through a full season where even if you don't get the chocolates, if you're twenty and two, you gotta think that you're gonna have a pretty decent follow up on that. But um yeah, so I was reasonably confident in that season, I think. So how do you rate 2009 overall then? The fact that you'd get the great home and away record, finish on top, perform well in the finals, but ultimately just fall short? Uh, well, the more I the more I watch footy, the more I think that that was just a tremendous season. Like that was the best footy that I've seen us play for a full season. So um, I probably... I probably appreciate that more the more I see us like just bomb it to the top of the square <laughs> now and just have it like that makes me pull my hair out. Um, so the more that that happens, yeah, the more I appreciate that. It was the most dominant football that I've seen St Kilda play, even though it obviously amounted to nothing in the end from b- both of those years. Uh, yeah, it was a good it was a it was a good time to watch the Saints play well. Who was your favourite player through this? 2009 2010 era um gee that's a tough question that's a tough tough question i always loved sam fisher i always thought he was like a underrated like i'm big on like underrated players but um yeah dempster and fisher were like miserly they were miserly players sam fisher sort of was one of those i think sam fisher and just before that, I think Joel Bowden was the first player that I can remember that was like a like a key position halfback player that would get twenty five possessions mm, and yeah. damage you. Really early coming in off that, that, mold, that, yeah. that that yeah, and then that sort of like damaging rebounding player became like an essential, almost like your star player would be that sort of these days. But um, yeah, that was like Sam Fisher getting twenty five touches. You knew that like the Saints were going to be going all right when that happened. So, yeah, I really liked him. Um, uh, I had like a, a half ironic love for Jason Blake, <laughs> like the ultimate battler, like no yeah. one cared. About, like, he'd pass you in the street 10 times and you would never recognise him. But um, I think because he was sort of thrown to the wolves in the ruck for so long, which seems like he wouldn't even be like a third defender to think to put that bloke in the ruck um, on on the on the magnet board is bonkers. So yeah, I enjoyed how, how he went about it. Um, he got he he managed to get a goal in his last game, which was very exciting. Um, we had a good team though. We had a good team. Um, when Milne was kicking goals, I loved Milne again. Stephen Baker, one of the blokes that like was hated if you weren't a Saints player. He was like he stopped a lot of good players. Um, he was one of those good taggers. Clinton Jones became a really good tagger after that. Um, I think Ross loved loved to cultivate a tagger. So, um, uh, yeah, Jones was – he was not – like he, he had a personal mantra knowing that he – he said, I'm not going to be the most skilled player on the, on the ground, so I just want to run harder than anybody else does. So uh, he certainly did that. He shut down some excellent players. So – yeah, some of the unsung heroes I really enjoyed watching. Just back on Sam Fisher, Dan, um, I think late in that season, I think he had a 40-plus disposal game, maybe against Collingwood, I think it was. Um, So, yeah, he was that kind of rebounding, the, the ultimate rebounding defender, and, yeah, very versatile. Yeah, he was, a, he, he was, like, again, like, we didn't have many guys. I mean, Dempster, uh, yeah, I guess he'd call it, like, we didn't have a lot of guys in our back line that were, like, elite users of the ball so having a guy that could like find a target on the wing or in the forward line was just um a luxury then and he was he was the guy that started super hard worker too yeah for sure all right so to finish off guys we're just gonna have a bit of a quick chat about some of the great characters that st kilda's had over the period so i don't know maybe it's because of the lack of success over the journey but they seem to have become sort of notorious for not only having some great players, but also some excellent characters. So I think we might have covered this a little bit earlier, but, you know, does it take like a certain type of person to be 
a St Kilda player, at least, you know, a really loved St Kilda player. Think in the mould of guys like Tony Lockett, Danny Frawley, Barry Hall, Stephen Baker, Stephen Milne. Is there something, some common elements between a few of these guys? Look, I reckon there's a common element. I mean, I think guys, I think there's two groups of players here. I think that players that you draft, I think, um, are going to get... if they're good players that we draft and have a little bit of something to them, they're going to get loved by the Saints people. But I think um, players that we trade in for, I don't think uh, I don't think we're have been a very popular destination for any sort of free agent or trade target. So it's the, the players that arrive at the Saints are probably going to have something a little off with them. Um, that might sound a bit, a bit, uh, a bit mean and a bit negative, but I mean, we haven't been a destination for a long time. Just in the last couple of years, I been, I was, I was wrapped that we managed to land Dan Hanabry. Whether or not he's uh, a good trade, I was like wrapped that one of the bigger targets of free agency that year was prepared to come to St Kilda. It was an attractive club to come to. Um, doesn't even need to hit the park after that, uh, and he might not. <laughs> He's got very, <laughs> He's very holding soft up his uh, end of the bargain on that hamstrings. So far, <laughs> yeah. So like, I was, I was happy just the fact that we'd turned the organisation into an attractive place to come play footy. I think the the um, revamp of Morabin went a long way to it, um, but that's only happened in the last few years. As far we always, we always seem to miss, miss out on like a big fish. Um, trade or free agents um, signing. So, uh, yeah, that meant that it was players like Milne delisted off Essendon's rookie list or um, uh, Brent Guerra, by no means uh, um, an elite, like an elite player, but a really handy, uh, a really handy football footballer. Um, Stephen Powell, like, played a really different role for the Saints than he did at the D's, but like... He kicked more goals. Uh, again, like one of those... Yeah, he kind of like... He became a... Pl- I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but was he like a... Was he an elite user of the ball at the D's? Um, he wasn't a brilliant kick, but um, he was definitely like an accumulator and hard at it midfielder. Sorry, Ralph, I just missed your response there. Was, um, oh, was like, he an elite he, user? He... We'd get a goal every now and then, but I, I didn't sort of see him as like one of the better kicks in our midfield. He was definitely good in and under sort of yeah, um, right. hard at it midfielder. Um, but yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Maybe I just didn't evaluate him that well when he was playing for Melbourne. But like when he came to the Saints, he was like a extract, put it in the forward 50 sort of player. And he like did that like regularly and, and well um, for us. So like, yeah, that's kind of like B sort of, B-tier players were what we sort of had to, um, I mean, settle for. It all sounds like really negative uh, ways to go to, to talk about it. But, like, yeah, we didn't we didn't attract the brightest and best um, free agents. So the players had to have a little something different to um, to get the job done, I think. Yeah, one thing I've noticed with um, a lot of players over the time at St Kilda is they've had a lot of one-club players that have you know been there their whole career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and... Correct me if I'm wrong if you know this, Dave, but I'm pretty sure Trevor Barker played his whole career at St Kilda and never played in a final. Is that... Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't know for there, sure, but, I mean, it would not surprise there, me. There were tons of stories that, yeah. like that. You'd have your... Yeah. yeah, you know, your Robert Harveys, your Nathan Burks, your Stewie Lowe's. You just, you'd have a ton of stories about guys who probably could have left for, you know, more success, but they were just... Yeah. You know, they were there for life and... Yeah, it, it, did, it did seem like you needed to have that special character. Of, I don't want to call it working class, but um, I'd say, look, yeah, like, that's what it was, like a player yeah. with a chip on their shoulder and a point to prove, I think. And if you were like the quiet or gentle type, you may not survive there. Would that be a, a fair way to put it? Yeah, or like if you were that, that type of player, you had to be like exceptional, but you had to let yeah. your footy do the talking, I think. But um. Yeah, yeah, but I think you're right. Like, there's, there was a lot of, like, not X-Factor players, but, yeah, sort of point-to-prove sort of players or, like, second-chance players that 
had a point to prove for that for that reason. Like they got a lifeline at the Saints, they want to um, pay the club back in some regard. But yeah, I think the lack of the lack of um, elite prospects sort of harbored that sort of characteristic. I think. All right, so I think we've more or less come to the end of our 2009 chat. So lots of interesting stuff there, going back to a time where St Kilda were one of the best teams. Sadly, probably not the case in 2021, but uh, the AFL is a fickle thing and you know teams are bouncing up and down all over the place. Did quite well last year, so who knows when uh, St Kilda will be back up there again. But yeah, I think that's yeah, one exactly. of the great things about our comp, right? Like it is possible to actually turn things around within a few years if you get things right. Absolutely. Uh, I think this year is like a interesting year as well. Like there's like, there's no surprises. Maybe like you'd be surprised if, well, not even, I mean, North have knocked over a couple of teams in the last couple of weeks. So like you, you don't really know who, like who's going to surprise you. So uh, yeah, there's plenty of scope for teams to turn their luck around. I think. Thanks for jumping on the line to have a chat to us tonight, Dave, and reliving some of these, uh, or the checkered past of some Kilda, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. It's my pleasure. It uh, probably gets easier and easier the more time passes, the more you talk about it. So, um, yeah, anytime. Very well adapted for a St Kilda supporter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I try. Thanks for jumping on the line too, Johnny. Some interesting insights yes, as always. And, uh, once again, to everyone out there, Reminded to check out those podcasts all over time, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, well worth it. Hopefully you guys can uh, watch some footy over the weekend and enjoy the last few weeks building up towards finals. So we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening.